Good morning everyone and a very warm welcome to Hillhead at the Grosvenor. Especially you are welcome if you're visiting us this morning. We hope you enjoy your time with us. Our service will be led by our Minister Katrina and everything we need to follow the service is both on our printed order of service and on the screen. Please stay if you can at the end of this service and have some tea or coffee with us. Then at 7pm this evening, our evening service will be held in Wellington Church. The Reverend Dr Norman Shanks will lead our worship on the fascinating theme, Confessions of an Ageing Believer. This service will also include the Act of Communion. Then once again this year, we're all invited to make a donation to the Christian Aid Christmas Appeal uh, in place of sending Christmas cards to one another. So if you have a donation for the Christian Aid Appeal, please hand it to Barbara today and she will gather all of those in. And then as soon as Barbara has all our donations, she'll let me know whose greetings to include in the Christmas edition of The Key. So you'll find your Christmas greetings there instead of in Christmas cards. Uh, just note that Katrina is on leave this coming week, so next Sunday at 11am, our friend Dr Graham Meeklejohn from the Scottish Baptist College will lead morning worship here in the hotel, and in the evening, Adele Houston will lead evening worship in Wellington Church. These are all our notices. So for our call to worship today, we're actually going to use a call and response style of call to worship. Um, the words will appear on the screen. They're also on your order of service. So I will say the words that are yellow or plain type, depending which way you're looking. And you will join in with the words, please, if you are able, um, that are in white or bold, depending again where you're looking. This is the place and this is the time here and now, God waits to change our minds, to change our lives, to change our ways. To, to make us see the world and the whole of life in a new light. To fill us with new hope, joy and certainty for the future. This is the place, as are all places. This is the time, as are all times. Here and now, let us praise God. And so we're going to praise God indeed as we sing our opening hymn, Christ is the World's Light. And if you're able, you're invited to stand with us as we sing.
We're going to pray together now. Um, I will lead us in a relatively short prayer, but we'll also have some pauses in which in the silence we can offer our own thoughts to God. And then after that, of course, as is our custom and practice, we share together in, in the pattern prayer that Jesus gave his friends, the Lord's Prayer. And we just say that in whatever form is natural and comfortable and familiar for us. So let's pray together. God of song and poetry, as we sing your praises, we delight in the wonder of your creativity, not only in the natural world, but also as you inspire human endeavor in music, art, drama, poetry, and prose. Thankful for the endless variety of your creation, we pause for a few moments to recognize and give thanks for our own unique gifts and skills. God of story and prophecy, as we listen for your voice, we may find ourselves reminded of the blessings for which we express gratitude. Or we may find ourselves reminded of regrets, sins, and omissions for which to express remorse. Conscious of our own limitations and our need for forgiveness, we pause for a few moments to bring you whatever emerges from within. God of service and pragmatism, as we know ourselves forgiven, as we seek refreshment and new courage, so we also commit ourselves to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, who taught his followers to pray in this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom
So those who have um, arrived early will have seen I have all sorts of weird and wonderful things laid out on the communion table this morning. Different kinds of lights. And we've got a couple of candles lit already. I'm hoping they will survive. This is a nice sort of like decorative one. And this is one that you could take out if you were going out. This one I used to take out when I used to go out carol singing. Um, try not to burn my hands with it. Little tiny candles. Does anybody know if it's dark how far away you can usually see a candle? There's all sorts of... In- yes, do come closer so you can see. All sorts of interesting things you can find on the internet that are really not quite right. Some people say you can see a candle for 30 miles in the dark. There's a problem with that. It's called the curvature of the Earth. And if it was 30 miles away, it would be past the horizon. I found a very clever website written by some physicists. And they said, well, if you compare it to this star, or if you compare it to that star, or if you compare it to the other star, you would see it at various distances. And they think you could probably see a little candle like this about a mile and a half away if it was completely dark. It would just be a little pinprick of light in the darkness. Yeah, a mile and a half away, that's long. We won't blow it out just yet, but maybe we can blow it out later. So I've got some different lights to show you, and we'll see what they're like, shall we? Who would like to turn on one of my torches? I've got five torches. Anybody fancy turning on a torch? Which which one would you like to turn on? Not the big one. Okay, do you want that one? Can you turn it on? (coughs) Push that thing. Oh. Oh, do you want to to wave it round so they blind all the people at the back? Oh, very good. Okay, who would like to turn on another one? Would you like to do 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 that one? I'll do this one because you have to do it differently. Oh, that's right. Just keep that one. Just keep shining it. Keep shining it around. Shine it in the ceiling. So, oh, Katrina, would you like that one? Oh, Joan's got one. Do you want to turn yours on yourself, Joan? I'm going to give that one to you, Jeff, because I can't actually do this one... um, Unless I, this one, it's very annoying, this one. It doesn't always work. There we go. A head torch. So different shining lights that we can have. Where might you use a torch, do you think? Where might you take a big torch? Into the garden at night. Oh, that's a good idea. Into the garden at night, yeah. Where might you take a little torch? Into the garage. Into the garage. Where might you use your torch, Joan? Reading. Reading. Very good. Katrina, what about yours? <laughs> and this one is a, if meant to be if, you, if you're walking or running. Anybody, any runners? I'm not a runner, but I do occasionally hike and it goes dark, so put it on a head so we can see in the darkness. And it's gone off now, but never mind. So lots of different torches. And does anybody know what this one is? This is my favourite one, and this is very precious. This is, a, this is a genuine miner's lamp. It is an absolutely a genuine Davy lamp. Um, and I think people who've known me for a long time know it's precious because this was my leaving gift from my last church. It was a coal mining community, um, and it's, it's very precious. But the, this little lamp, you would take it down into the coal mine, and it, you could hang it up, and you could see what you were doing. But does anybody know what was special about Davy lamps? That's right, yeah, the fire damp or the methane, the, gas, the poisonous gases would change the colour of the flame. Thank you. So it would act as a bit of a, a warning 
that you were in danger. So all sorts of different kinds of lights that we have. Lights to help us see the way far away, lights to help us read, lights to show us if we're at risk, all sorts of different ones. And one of the sort of things that we, we discover in the Bible is that we, Jesus is described as being like a light, but also we're described as being like a light. So I have some little candles, and I thought definitely the little people might like them. You have to hold them very carefully, and we can blow these out in a minute, but we'll light them first. So we're going to give you a light. Oops, if I can get it to light. There's one for you. Would you like that light? Can you hold that very carefully? That's lovely. Should we put the torch here? There we go. Who else is small and would like a light? I'm sure we've got some more. There's one for you. Oh, we've got a baby at the back, so the baby has to have one even if they can't hold it yet. Give it to Daddy to hold. I think that's what Daddies are for, isn't it? Holding lights. Did I see a Bonnie somewhere? No? Oh, dear. All that hard work yesterday has caught up with her. Right, anybody else who's little? No. Right, well, I have these lights, and I am not taking them home. I have two boxes. So, Katrina, could you maybe just pass them out? At least, let's get at least one on every row to start with. Now, if, you, if you're lucky enough to get a, a light, I expect you to take it home with you. I don't want any left at the end of the service. Because my flat has plenty of things in it already. Thank you. That'd be great, thank you. Oh, this one doesn't want a light. Right, we're going to blow them out after we've sung a song, but we'll get them out to everybody first, if we possibly can. Thank you. All these amazing people helping me, which is wonderful. Thank you. Right, I have got another box full, but I think I think we will start singing. What have I done with my zapper? Oh, it's there. We're going to start singing the song, and I will carry on lighting some more candles during that song, and we'll get them out to everybody who can have one. I think it's day sitting, yes, to sit, sing. Thank you.
we can see. I'm just going to see if we can knock off some lights and just see how effective these lights are. Thank you. Can we knock off the lights at this end? Of the Wow, look at all these lovely lights shining in the in this relative darkness. So that's what we're called to be like in the world, to shine like lights in the darkness, to shine for God. So on the count of three, and hopefully we won't set the smoke alarms off, we can all <laughs> blow out the candles. One, two, three. Happy birthday to us on Sorry, that's the wrong week. Okay, so would the, if the youngsters would like to go off to Sunday school now, that would be great. And to crash. So we listen from the, for the word of God, firstly from Isaiah. You will say on that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away and you comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my might. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say on that day, Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known his deeds among the nations. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be known in all the earth. Shout aloud and sing for joy, O royal Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. And then Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs and our tormentors asked for mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither. Let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth, if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem's fall, how they said, Tear it down, tear it down, down to its foundations. O daughter Babylon, you devastator, happy shall they be who pay you back what you have done to us. Happy shall they be who takes your little ones and dash them against the rock. And then from James. You do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty.
for judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? Amen. I'm going to be very honest with you, way back when the worship group suggested, and quite rightly, that during November we should give at least some thought to our response to Brexit, I immediately felt quite anxious. I felt anxious because I find the task of speaking in response to any political event or non-event as, as incredibly difficult, partly because I'm worry that what I say or how I say it might offend people I love and admire. The pastoral heart sometimes takes me away from where I feel perhaps I really ought to go. But I'm also anxious because the truths we need to speak and the truths we need to hear are never party political. And neither are they about taking sides on any binary decision about nation status or whatever it might be. The truths that we need to tell are timeless and they don't change. And really, there is nothing I can say that hasn't been said many, many times before, either by me or by other people. So perhaps we should start there, just reminding ourselves of the truths that we already know. Remember how people came to Jesus to try and trip him up? And they said, well, what do we have to do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus asked them. And basically, it was 
Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul and your strength. And love your neighbour as you love yourself. That's the essence. Uh, and there's one of the Gospels, and I should have written down which it is, where Jesus basically says, and everything else is commentary on that. If you hold on to that, everything else that's in the Bible, read through that lens. We're also very well aware that throughout the scriptures, we're reminded that faith proves itself in deeds. That God actually, frankly, isn't so fussed about the beauty of our worship. If injustice and violence and greed just carry on unchecked and unchanged. The prophet Micah very neatly summarizes it, I think. What does the Lord require of you? This, only this. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. So that's all right, isn't it? We know those things, and we believe those things. Love God, love each other, live out what you believe. That's simple then, isn't it? If only. The challenge is not about knowing the truth, but actually working out what it looks like in everyday life. In an everyday context, which perhaps could be described now for us as a strange land. Now, I'm always very wary when Christians talk about the church as being in exile, as if somehow, Against our will, we have been dragged away and relocated in a society with values and norms that we don't understand and we don't share. And there are two reasons, particularly, why I'm wary of that viewpoint. The first, and I think this one is really important, is it sets up an us-and-them paradigm, that we somehow are the good people, the godly people, and everybody else out there well, whew, they oppress us. They stop us being who we want to be. And that's not true to what we profess as followers of Jesus. Love God, love your neighbour. Us and them disappears. But also, I'm very wary of it because it kind of makes it not our fault. We're just kind of nice little innocents to whom bad things happen and we cry out to God for rescue, overlooking the fact that actually, most of the time, at least to a degree, we have a sense of responsibility, a degree of culpability in what's going on around us. Human sin, personal and corporate, is real. And as grown-ups, we're expected to recognise it, name it, lament it, and with God's help to transform or redeem it. So yeah, we do find ourselves in a strange land, a very strange land, a society where democracy is creaking or broken, a nation or a union of nations, however we choose to describe it, where words are used by powerful people that are often dangerous. A society where truth and honesty are fragile and even failing in a torrent of spin and fake news. It's scary. And we're right to be scared. But we have to remember, however much it galls us, that we are not separate from it. 
And I think it's that not separate that actually is why we can still have hope. Why we are called to be hopeful and loving. Why we're called to shine our little candles in the darkness. I chose the three readings for this morning, each of which I think offers us a way of reflecting and responding to the situation in which we find ourselves. We have a psalm, which is where I stole the title of from my sermon, singing the Lord's song in a strange land. We have one of the lectionary prophet readings for today. And then the self-indulgent bit, a little extract from the book of James, which as many of you know is my favorite book in the whole Bible. The thing that reminds me what it means to follow Jesus. If I was going to offer a subtitle for today's sermon, I think it might be this. Poets, prophets, and pragmatists. Because each of these, I think, are important and helpful insights into how we might respond to our life in this strange land. So let's start with poets, shall we? For as long as there have been people to sing them, songs have been sung. Parents sing lullabies to their children. Lovers sing songs to woo a prospective partner. Protest songs rage against injustice. Laments express sorrow or regret. And ballads tell stories, preserve memories, and much, much more. The court minstrels of old and the poets laureate, the makers and the bards of our own time write poems and sing songs in response to state occasions and major tragedies and world events. So it should be no surprise to us that poetry and song are part of this canon of scripture, part of the way we can listen for God's voice, express it, Meditate on it, reflect with it. The language of poetry and song is rich and expressive. It's not bound by the constraints of objectivity often expected of prose, though we might question that nowadays. Rather, it is intentionally subjective and it often conveys strong emotion, emotions. Even, as we found with the psalm, some that can make us very uncomfortable when we read them or hear them. The psalm does fall into this category of poetry, a poetry or a song. It was written to be shared in community, to express some really strong feelings and to carry important memories. Apparently, the scholars really struggle to categorize this psalm. They kind of like you know, putting psalms into boxes and go, this is a this and this is a. This one doesn't fit. And I think maybe that's why it's such a useful psalm, song, poem for us to think about this morning. Because life just doesn't always fit into nice, neat boxes, does it? We are complicated creatures. We are conflicted creatures. And life sometimes is difficult to make sense of. The song starts by looking back to their past experience, the time when they were in exile in a strange land. And it recalls how homesick they felt. It recalls how they were taunted by other people, how they sat down and wept bitter tears as they thought about home and all that meant and all it used to be. The song keeps
keeps alive memories. It reminds us, the singer or the reader, of the truth that those who forget about the past are often condemned to repeat it. And in this song, this psalm, we get a very complicated weaving together of memories and emotions. There is the pain and sorrow of the strange land and the ways in which the memory of home, of God's hopeful jurisdiction, sustained them in that time. And there's also anger and the desire for vengeance against those they hold responsible. It pulls no punches, this psalm. It isn't edited for correctness in a multicultural society. It is raw emotion, recorded and expressed. It probably does make us uncomfortable. It probably does make us think. But that's what poetry is about. That's why poems have always been written, why songs have always been written and sung. And so I find myself wondering, who are the poets of our time? Who among us can express in music and song, in art, in drama, in dance, the feelings and the questions arise for us in our strange land? I wonder too, what are our songs of Zion? The hymns, the stories, the poems that we retell together or to ourselves <coughs> to sustain us in this strange land. Who are the poets? What are the songs? So next we're going to look at prophets. A substantial part of our Bible is taken up with writing we call prophecy. Mostly men, though there are some women, even if they don't get books named after them. These are often people who seem quite grumpy, depressed. And they look at the world around them as if through the eyes of God. And they don't pull their punches either. They speak very frankly about the inevitable consequences of carrying on the way people are. Now, it is always seen through a theological lens and there is a worldview in the Old Testament, least, at least, of a God who permits or even causes calamity for those who choose to disobey the commandments. You know how they often begin, thus says the Lord, unless you do that, I will do the other. Doom and gloom is how we used to talk about it when I was young. But prophets aren't all doom and gloom. They also employ their God-given imagination to have a vision of something different. It's just that actually sometimes you have to dig quite hard to find it. Isaiah 12, which Jeff read for us, comes at the end of some serious doom and gloom. I actually have to speak on some of that doom and gloom at the University Chapel on Tuesday. I don't know what I'm going to say, but hey-ho. But at the end of the doom and gloom, there is this prophetic imagination of a prophet, a person who imagines a day when humanity is fully reconciled to God, not just looking back to something they remember as being good or even make into a myth of perfection, but rather looking forward to a horizon where everything is renewed or recreated 
in that day it will be. Think of the book of Revelation at the end, the very end of that book, where we get this beautiful image of the new heaven and the new earth and no tears and and no mourning and no grief. This is the prophetic imagination that sustains the prophets in the tough times. The prophetic task is never easy because it always risks being rejected. Prophets name what's wrong. They speak truth to power. They make us squirm. They tell us off sometimes, and they have the audacity to say that God has told them to do so. (coughs) Yet, in a strange land where it seems helpless and hopeless, we need those who have the courage both to name that reality as it is in all its brokenness, and to imagine what it will become when God's in-breaking kingdom of Shalom finds its full expression. So I wonder again, who are the prophets of our time? Who among us is able to look at the society of which we're part as if with the eyes of God, through the lens of the gospel of Christ, and name what is wrong? Who is able to point out to us the consequences of of silence or inaction, of complicity or collusion? Who among us dares to speak the uncomfortable truth, even if doing that risks rejection or ridicule? And who among us dares to dream dreams of what the world might be when this strange land is remade as God imagines it to be? So poets express ideas, prophets challenge and dream, but not everybody is or can be or should be either of those. Alongside the poetry of the psalmists and the dreams of the prophets, scripture is full of plain speaking, common sense guidance on life in the here and now. We see that in the Pauline and the pastoral (coughs) epistles especially. Tradition has it that the letter attributed to James was written by Jesus' little brother. And the context into which it was written could be described as a strange land in which believers in Jesus had many trials and not a little persecution. But it's it's heart, it's a very practical letter. It gives sound advice about how believers should behave towards each other. They are to be careful in their speech. They are to avoid the, favorite, the temptation to favoritism towards those who are wealthy or inter, in, influential. They are to be faithful in prayer. They are to be patient in adversity. And all of this is neatly summed up in just a few words. Faith without deeds is dead. Sing the songs and share them with others. Speak out or listen carefully and attentively to those who do so. But unless the singing and the speaking result in transformed living, it's pointless. That's hard, isn't it? But actually, it's what we see over and over again in the scriptures, and especially in the life of Jesus. Love God and love your neighbor. Oh, and love your enemies, and pray for the people who persecute you. 
heal the sick, feed the people who are hungry, house those who are homeless, clothe those who are naked. Don't just pray about it. Do something. And so I find myself wondering, among us who are the pragmatists, the people whose gifts and skills, whose calling and charge is to do something, who can perform the practical tasks, what small thing might we be able to do to make a difference to the least of these members of God's family? And how does our faith find practical expression in this strange land in which we find ourselves? So yes, poets, prophets, pragmatists. You might think there's a P missing from there. You might think there should be pastors in there. And there probably should. But I had three passages and only so much time to talk. And yet, you know, there is that danger that if all we think about is pastors and people who care for us and look after us and say nice things to encourage us, we become insular. Pastors have to be part of a mix with poets and prophets and pragmatists. None of them has all of them, all of the, what is needed, and all of them have something of which is needed. But also, I think, every one of us is called to be, to some degree, a pastor, to look out for others, to see who it is who needs a word of encouragement, to see who it is I can help not just to want to be looked after, but also to want to look after. Love God, love your neighbour as you love yourself. But we also together are another P, the people of God, or the body of Christ. Whoever we are, whatever our gifts and skills, we are all called of God, equipped by the Holy Spirit and charged by Christ to make a difference into the strange land in which we find ourselves. So how do we do any of that? Well, I was reminded of uh, something that was written a long time ago by a medieval mystic called Teresa of Avila. And she said these words, which we're going to listen to in a minute. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands or feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he sees. Yours are the feet with which he walks. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. So we're going to listen to these words as we continue to reflect on our response. Are we poets? Prophets? Pragmatists? Pastors? How are we together, the people of God, the body of Christ?
Uh, first of all, excuse my voice this morning. Um, but in our prayers for ourselves and for others this morning, we're also going to all play a part ourselves by naming one other person in this congregation this morning. So I would like to ask if you could, um, because we get visitors and because we sometimes, like I do, have a memory block about names, I would like you to um, just check the name of the person to your left. Now, if you're in this section, no, if you're in this section, Joyce, the person on your left is actually the person sitting in the next row behind you, so it's Neil. Okay, so what we'll do is we'll, we'll go around the whole congregation and we will hear, we will say aloud the person on the left next to us. Okay, and it will go right back this side, right up to the back, and then you'll say the left to over to the other side, and then it will come down this side. And as it comes down this side, for example, Mary, the person on your left is Barbara. Okay, so as it comes down this side, the person at that extreme end, the person you name is the one in the front, row in front of you at the aisle side, and then it will come right down here and back to here. It should work. Um, so could I ask you just to, if you uh, just, you, most of us know each other, but please introduce yourself or just check the name of the person on your left, and then we'll pray together. <laughs> Thank you for this. We've heard from scripture, you do well to fulfill the law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. Let us pray. Life rises in our midst, week after week, month after month, year after year. It surprises us when it blossoms forth in unexpected ways and at unforeseen times. It rises in our individual lives. It rises in this community of faith gathered here this morning. And it comes with a power stronger than death. Let us look at each other with our eyes open or in our mind's eye and see again the qualities and gifts which contribute to this life among us, both in this church and in the thousands of relationships and interactions which we in this room have each week with others in everyday life. For those of us who explore faith and society through the creativity of poetry, of prose, dance, composition and arrangement of music, drama, painting, jewellery design, or the design of buildings, encouraging all of us to engage with our imagination and our emotions. For those of us who explore faith and society through theology, ethics, the environment, politics, journalism, current affairs, 
articulating prophetic visions which encourage all of us to think through the consequences of our actions as individuals or as local or multinational or global communities. For those of us who explore faith and society through pragmatic analysis, actually getting things done, and who go on calling us all to adopt the approach that in an imperfect world, compromise can achieve great good and progress, even when it is not perfect. God in community, we give thanks for the life we experience in each one of us, and we pray that the way we work and live together will encourage that life in all our diversity as poets, prophets, and pragmatists. And so let us pray for each other. Katrina. Paul. Alan. Leo. Paul. Ken. Wendy. Eight. Morag. Joyce. Betty. And specifically in our fellowship here at Hillhead, we're asked to play this, pray this morning for Jeff and for Carol and for Karis. For our fellowship of churches within the Baptist Union of Scotland, we remember Shettleston, South Leith, Southside in Ayr, Springburn. And the BMS prayer diary for today asks us to pray that the staff in the communications department will effectively share the inspiring work which BMS is doing through creative storytelling, compelling words and arresting photos. We are glad to be here with each other this morning and we commit ourselves again to care for each other, to affirm each other, giving and receiving and sharing of gifts and graces that we may be part of the transforming life of God in all of life and all of creation. Poet, prophet or pragmatist or a bit of a mixture. Jesus says, I have called you by your name. You are mine. We continue in our prayers in the giving of an offering.
Generous God, you have blessed us with so much and we have brought you back our gifts to you. So help us to employ them in poetry, in prophecy, in pragmatism, in praise and pastoral care to the glory of your name. Amen. It's good to go out with a bit of cheer in our hearts and say our our final (laughs) hymn is a nice upbeat one. O Lord, all the world belongs to you and you are always making all things new. What a wonderful hope to hold on to. Let's stand if we can as we sing. creates us. May we go from here speaking the words of the God who redeems us. May we go from here to serve the God who sustains us. May we go in faith. May we go in hope. May we go in love. (laughs) 